Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet as we begin worship this morning. You know this verse. If you want to even say it with me, do so. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Amen. Miss Fanny Crosby wrote this hymn talking about the blessed assurance of that very saving power. Let's sing it this morning as we join in worship. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory
Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us in worship today. Uh, those of you obviously here in person, those online, thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, I do want to ask all of our guests that are with us this morning, if you will please take a care card located there in the pew rack in front of you, fill in your information. We want to send you something and just thank you for being with us. Uh, you can leave those in the table, at, uh, the boxes on the tables, the round tables as you leave. And then on the back of the care card for all of us is a place to fill in a prayer request. That's for members and visitors alike. We want to know what's going on in your life, and we want to be praying for you. We, we do get those. Our uh, secretaries get those out of the box on Monday morning. They direct those to the right people in ministry, and we pray for you. And we keep those and pray for you. We contact you if you desire that. So if you would like a call from a, a minister, mark that on your sheet, and we will give you a call uh, if you have questions or uh, about ministries of the church, made some of those calls this week, uh, we want to hear from you and be able to answer those for you. So please use that as a tool for information, too, for you. And we would love to talk with you more about Pitts Baptist Church. A couple of announcements. Uh, we do have one matter of business at the end we need to deal with, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, ladies, you have an Even If conference on Saturday, September 18th from 9.30 to 4. Doors open at 9.00. It is a simulcast for those in sixth grade and up. The deadline to sign up that, for that is September the 12th. Tickets are $20, and that does include your Chick-fil-A box lunch. Men, today is the last day to sign up for Snowbirds. Be Strong Men's Conference on September 24th through the 26th. That sign-up sheet is also at the info desk, so please go by. Take care of that. I do need to call them tomorrow with our final number. It is a $50 deposit. Uh, Garrett's usually back there. You can give that to her this morning. Uh, the total for the trip is 125. But what a great weekend. We shoot guns, eat meat, and praise Jesus. Amen. Come on, guys. Thank you, Dustin. I mean, it's getting better than that here on this earth. I mean, come on. So come be a part of that. It's always a great time. And we were talking, I was talking to one of our members this morning. When you get outside the walls of a building and you really fellowship with God's church, you really get to know people. Sometimes you don't want to know everything. I mean, I mean, anyway, you get to know people. And we want to encourage you uh, to do things like that. Get plugged in, do things. We do mission projects, retreats. Be a part of those. Uh, we do have a special called Business Conference. We began announcing that last week. Uh, this Wednesday night at 8.05, right here in the Worship Center. Uh, it, we want to present some time-sensitive information from the Land Steering Committee. It's an important meeting. And so we ask our members, if you'll please be here at 8.05 Wednesday night, some kind of well, exciting opportunities that we have found out about that we just need to present to the church and let you guys give some direction and vote on that to let us know as a steering committee what to do. So if you would be here, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, we do have a stand-up community group teachers meeting. This is for adult leaders uh, right after this service in the activity room down in the core. I'm going to try to keep the meeting as best I can to 15 minutes. 
There are just some things I need to hand out. So adult community group leaders, if you would meet for a stand-up meeting right after worship uh, this morning. So our matter of business is voting on our teacher slate. Last week, we had those on the tables for you. They're still out there. There are some extras if you want to get one this morning. But we, we appreciate all those that have volunteered and stepped up to fill in our uh, gaps and uh, to re-up, to come back and be teachers again next week. I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, you say, well, I haven't been in a long time or I'm not a part of that. Here again is another way to get to know people in the church that are dealing with the same things that you are in life. You know, to come in here and worship is great. We need this. Corporate worship is vital. Corporate worship and a message is vital. But discipling in small groups is also vital. You have opportunities to share your experiences, your personal experiences from your teachers and others that are in that class. That's the group you go to when you're rejoicing, when you're mourning, when you have needs. That's the group that's going to love you. So if you're not a part of a community group, next week would be a great week. Grab one of those trifold brochures. Look for your age group. There's a map on it. I'll be down at the core desk, info desk. If you're not sure where to go, because sometimes this campus, if you come on new, it's kind of crazy. You get turned around real easy. Stop there and check with me. There's usually people at the info desk. We will take you to that class next week. Try some different ones. We encourage you to do that too. People will be moving around. But next week would be a great week. Those online, if you're thinking about coming back to church, that would be a great Sunday to come back and get plugged into a community group. We would love to have you come. So be thinking about that, praying about that, grab one of those off the back desk uh, as you leave today and do a little research and do that. So at this time, we do need to call our church members into business and for the purpose of voting on our teachers. So as proposed by, uh, by committee last week on the teacher slate that has been presented, all in favor of voting that slate for the 21-22 uh, Sunday school year, would you vote by just saying aye? Aye. And all those opposed, would you give like sign? Hearing none, we're with, without dissent, so that vote carries that teacher slate will now be our teachers for next year. Thank you to those of you who are uh, teaching uh, next year. It's a big commitment, and we appreciate you helping us in kingdom work and discipling God's people. We do need to pray one matter of prayer that I want to ask you to add to your prayer list. Uh, Joel Alley's dad has been fighting cancer, bone cancer. They knew this was coming, probably not this quick. Well, I know not this quick. But on Saturday uh, morning over Friday night at 2 a.m., uh, Joel's dad uh, passed away. And so we need to remember the Alley family. His dad's name's Charles. His last name's got escaped me. Do you remember his last name? It is Alley. Yeah, because it's Joel's dad. Charles Alley. <laughs> Sorry about that. Woo. You know, folks, fog brain is a real thing. It's a real thing. So Charles Alley, if you remember that family, uh, and folks, I hate in some ways even watching the news right now, but let's continue to pray for the situation overseas in Afghanistan, our soldiers, those that are in harm's way, let's remember them uh, as we go to prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for giving us another day.
to meet with your church in this building. God, we know that our pastor has a message this morning that you have given to him. He has studied it, and God, we pray you'd speak through his mouth, that we would be challenged by what he has to say and what you've given him. God, we do lift before you uh, the Charles Alley family. God, just be with them. They knew that this was coming, not this quickly. And even though we know he was a believer, God, it's still hard. We still grieve, but the Bible says we grieve not as those uh, that have no hope. We have a hope in Jesus Christ to know that he is with you. And that if we are a follower of Jesus, we will see him again. So God, we pray that you comfort that family uh, with that passage of scripture from your word, God. We do pray for the situation right now that is still going on overseas with our military, with those that are in harm's way, with the Afghanis who have helped us for so long, God, that their lives, their very lives and the, the lives of their families are being threatened. And God, we pray that your angels would watch over them, God, take care of them. God, we know this is not a surprise to you. You know all about it. We know you are sovereign, God, and we trust you, God. Do your perfect and holy will as awful as it seems, as we see and we hear reports, God, through all of it, that your name would be high and lifted up. There would be people who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through all of it. That the church would be encouraged and emboldened to have a stronger witness for you, God. Be with this service. God, as we worship you, when we sing these songs, let us sing them to your face. When we put our offering in the box as we leave today, we would put that in there and say, God, this is for you. God, as we listen to the message, we would open our hearts to what you want to say to us. Let this service not be about us, not worshiping us, but God, that we would worship you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Sherry, would you come up here a moment? <laughs> We're grateful to have <clears throat> Kevin and Sherry back with us after their recent bout with COVID, a couple that's deeply loved and appreciated, and the group that they minister to through EPIC, which is college and young adults, uh, have asked for a few minutes this morning to make a very special presentation to them from the Epic Ministry. Well, good morning, church. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jason Anderson, and on stage with me today, I have Luke Burdett. Um, both of us have been interns for Kevin Seeger as the Epic intern. Um, Luke just finished his summer, and then I did the two summers before that. But I just wanted to take a moment and talk to the church and just wanted to recognize that we have two very special people um, leading our college age ministry. Um, Kevin and Sherry have been very influ influential in my life and I'm sure Luke and the members of Epic would say the same. Starting with Miss Sherry. I don't know if y'all know this, but Miss Sherry is a fantastic cook. <laughs> um, 
breakfast, lunch, dinner. I've been on the receiving end of all three meals. It is always a good time. So if you hear she's cooking, you better get your spot in line early because you'll be fighting me for it. Um, I mean, whether it's s'mores dip, monkey bread, or stovetop popcorn, it's a good time. Those are just my favorites. Um, but we want to give a big thank you to Miss Sherry for always making sure we do have something sweet at the end of the community groups or at Epic Worship. Um, we also want to thank you for always being there to talk to or just goof around with, and most of all, for letting Kevin run wild with us and letting him be the big kid that he is. So now to our old pastor, Kevin. Um, Kevin, we just want to say thank you for staying up with us late at night because believe me, church, us college-age kids, we can stay up into the wee hours of the morning doing crazy stuff. Um, and most old guys, like Kevin, would just normally turn in around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, but Kevin's not built like that. Um, He's taught us countless card games that he always seems to win at for whatever reason. Um, he plays volleyball. He drives us around town when we have epic events. Um, but I want to take a moment, and Kevin, th I want to say thank you for continually challenging Epic to get involved somewhere in the church. Um, that has been a, had a huge impact on my life, and I'm sure the members of Epic would say the same. And we want to thank the Lord for putting y'all in our lives in this pivotal time for us. Um, now in May, Kevin and Sherry took a fuller than full house of young adults on a beach trip. Um, with everything that they did during that weekend, you know, it didn't seem like they really didn't get a chance to enjoy the beach very much. So the Epic Ministry wanted to send them to the beach with an emptiness so they could enjoy some special time together. So on behalf of Epic, we want to say thank you. We love you. We hope God continues to bless y'all, the Epic Ministry, and this church. Thank you, and we love y'all.
Amen. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Here from Psalm 104, I bless the Lord, O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and with majesty and light. You stretched out the starry curtain of the heavens and hollowed out the surface of the earth to form the seas. The clouds are his chariots. He rides upon the wings of the wind. The angels are his messengers, his servants of fire. Let's sing together. Would you stand with me as we proclaim how great our God is? Amen. Sings my soul, my Savior God. 
seated. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Luke 15, if you would please. Luke 15. God's abounding love for the lost and wayward. Luke 15. And when you find Luke 15, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? Luke 15. Of course, this chapter contains probably the best-known story around the world. Verse 1 begins, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate 
for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, I pray that we would have your heart for the lost. We know these days we're living in. We're told that there are more and more lost about us and many prodigals. And Lord, we can identify with that because many have been in those same shoes. I pray that you would give us a heart for the harvest even as you have. And God, speak to that prodigal here today that they can come home. To the Father who loves them with an everlasting love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys upstairs, I'm going to ask you to fix my sound. I'm down inside of a well, down deep. And it's reverberating and also seems kind of loud to me, but anyway. God's abounding love for the lost and wayward. Since becoming so popular in these days, Facebook is a place where people often air out their dirty laundry and grievances and they seem like they think they can hide behind a screen and type out anything they want, they want to type. But folks, let's not also forget the tremendous potential that something like Facebook can have if it is used in the appropriate manner. When Avel Grube's marriage came to an end in 1982, she decided to remain in her hometown in the UK. Her husband returned to his native country of Hungary. The couple had one son, Gavin, of whom Avel was awarded sole custody. Avel's husband only had visitation rights. And one day while in town to visit his son, the ex-husband asked if he could take Gavin to the local zoo. 
It seemed like an innocent enough request. But then day turned into night. And Abel became worried when they'd not returned. Days later, she learned that her ex-husband had run off with their son and had taken him back to Hungary. And for years and years, Abel and her family searched for Gavin to no avail. The father had hidden out somewhere in his home country and he was off the grid. Nobody could find him. Abel even took up her case with former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher as well as authorities at the Hungarian embassy. All efforts at finding the boy failed. And over time, Abel was left simply to accept the fact that she may never see her son Gavin again. But 27 years later, she found him. In March of 2009, Abel's sister typed Gavin's name into a search engine and she found a profile on Facebook. And immediately they began sending messages to Gavin, but again to no avail. He was never returning any messages. And then they found out that even though he had a Facebook account, he hardly ever went on it. But Abel's sister discovered that his children likewise had Facebook accounts. And they started sending messages to them to get to their father. 27 years later, mother and son had a reunion where emotions on both sides were simply described as being on cloud nine. The joy of lost things discovered. Folks, that's what Luke chapter 15 is all about. Without a doubt, Luke 15 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. It deals with the subject of lostness. And to deal with this subject, Jesus tells three parables. A parable is essentially an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. One parable deals with a lost sheep. The sheep wanders away, as sheep will do. After all, sheep are not that intelligent. Have you ever thought about a circus in a circus? You will see dogs trained, you will see lions trained, and elephants trained, and bears trained. But have you ever seen a sheep trained? No. They have a mind of their own. And what do sheep do? Sheep without a shepherd will wander away. In fact, the book of Isaiah says, All us like sheep have wandered away. We've gone our own way. It's no wonder the Bible compares us to sheep. So here the shepherd leaves the 99 who are safe in the sheepfold and he searches for the one until he finds it and, and, and he's got to find it quickly because after all sheep are dumb, they're defenseless, they're subject to prey and even on their own they can become cast down. You know, the Bible says we struggle against principalities and powers. Human nature is subject to even demonic forces at times. 
There are countless people like sheep wandering away who have been deceived by the evil one. We need a shepherd. And also when a sheep becomes cast down, it rolls over. It can't get off of its back. Gases will build up inside of the sheep and circulation is soon cut off and the sheep will die unless a shepherd comes along and rescues it. Again, sort of like human nature, right? We become cast down. King David said, why are you cast down, O my soul? We lose heart. We need a shepherd who will get us back up and point us in the right direction and bring us back to his fold. The second parable deals with a lost coin. It's inadvertently lost. It's lost in the dark. It's lost in the grime. And here's this woman in this little Israeli home. She, Jesus pictures this woman lighting a lamp and probably uh, putting it up on a stand so the light radiates all over her little one-room house or cottage. And she begins moving furniture and sweeping and sweeping and searching until she finds this lost coin. Some scholars tell us that ladies back then at their wedding as part of the dowry, they would even get a headdress of coins. And maybe it's one of these coins. And so it's something that has tremendous sentimental value to her. And she simply will not let it go. She's got to find that coin. And she moves the furniture, she sweeps, she finds it, and she celebrates. The third parable deals with the lost son. Probably the most loved of all of Jesus' parables. And it's the one we'll focus on today. Here's a boy that intentionally rebels. He leaves his father's care. Now folks, I want you to understand the emphasis in all three parables. The emphasis in all three is that it doesn't matter why or how something is lost. All that matters is that something of great value is lost. And in each case, we see the value of just one. In 2011, the New York Times stated in an article that the U.S. government had been grappling with a very difficult question, namely... What is the value to be assigned to a single human life? Now to be more precise, government agencies were trying to find out what is the so-called statistical value of life. And their answer was supposed to help influence business decisions of what businesses should spend in order to spare even one life. Back in 2004, the U.S. government's Office of Management and Budget told agencies that they should pick a number somewhere between 1 million and 10 million, but they also warned that any figure under 5 million would be unacceptable. The EPA set the value of a life at 9.1 million. The FDA declared their recommended number to be 7.9 million. 
the transportation department had determined that one life is worth six million. But here we see the value to God of even one. Priceless. And so there's a diligent search and then the find and finally the rejoicing, the celebration which shows us what? That lost things matter to God. And you certainly can't put a price tag on a human soul. Amen? Now I know we generally apply this parable to lost people, don't we? And that's proper. Because Jesus said, this son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. But I also would say it tells the story of Christians too. And some of you can relate to this. Christians who grow cold. They rebel against God. They become carnal maybe in their living. But all along the Holy Spirit is tugging at them. And finally they are broken and they come back to God. And so I think it has that application as well. Now the first thing I want you to see with me this morning is the rebellion that surfaces. The rebellion that surfaces, what a delight this man's sons must have, have been. Each one was uniquely made, created in God's image, very uniquely made, but loved by the Father. And in this story, we're supposed to probably see sons that, that laboriously helped their dad tend to the family farm. And so they were very valuable to him in that sense also. But we see that everything is not going well in this Jewish household. Everything's not kosher. There's some problems brewing on the home front. You see, he's got a son who is a rebel at heart. And folks, I realize this is a parable. But it's believed that this parable was probably very true to life and what a good number of Jewish families probably actually faced. You see, back at this time in the first century, Jews would often travel, if they had the means to do so, they would travel around the world in different cities in the Roman Empire. And if young people went with their families, they might have gone to a city like Rome itself or to Athens, Greece or Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus, some city like that. And they came back home after a, a time of extended vacation and they began telling their friends some of the sights and sounds they had seen out there in the world. And here's a boy who we're to see that he's tired of just doing the normal stuff around the farm. There's a world out there. And he's missing that world. There's stuff out there that he wants to do. Stuff out there he wants to see. And, he, and he's got this longing in his heart. He wants to get away from home and everybody he knows. He wants to get out there and kick up his heels and enjoy some of what's out there. He thinks there's a better life waiting on him out there. 
I tell you, as a pastor, I have dealt with parents in this situation or situations similar to it, and they're heartbroken. They've got an adult child above 18 out on their own, and, and, and they've tried everything, and they don't know what to do anymore. I even think of a personal friend, a, a gentleman retired now, but one of the leaders in Southern Baptist life across the country and here in North Carolina, he had two beautiful daughters. One of them very much involved in ministry. The younger daughter, much like the prodigal, decides there's other things out there so she gets out in the world. They don't even know from day to day if she's alive or not. They would get word back that she was a cocaine addict now and she was living here and living there and maybe the police would pick her up. And, and from day to day, I mean, this mom and dad were absolutely heartbroken. Here was a young lady raised in a Christian home and here her sister was serving the Lord faithful and, and the sister and the parents, all of them are heartbroken over the, younger, over the younger daughter. Happy to report, eventually, probably in her late 20s, maybe around age 30, she finally did come back home. She got right with God and now she's happily married to a Christian man and they're serving the Lord themselves. Again, true to life story where the first century or 21st century. Our story shows the foolishness of this young man. He was foolish in the way he wants his inheritance. He demands it now. Now, according to Jewish law, the younger boy would have gotten one-third. The older son would have gotten two-thirds. And inheritances were generally divided at death. And so essentially it's like this younger son is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, or I wish you'd hurry up and die because I just want to get what's coming to me. I want it now. Give it to me now. And what does the dad do? He obliges. I'm sure it broke his heart, but he obliges. A very generous father. And this son, again, just can't see that. He's determined to think he's missing something. And again, this is our nature, isn't it? I mean, I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, God had given them everything except one tree and said, all of this is for you. But what did Satan come along and do? And convince them that they needed the one thing that God had forbidden. So true to human nature. Some of us think the world has something better waiting for us than our Heavenly Father does. And so I'm sure the day came that they'd help the boy pack his bags, said tearful goodbyes. They probably, as they watch him walk off, wonder, are we ever going to see him alive again? They don't understand what he's doing. And there's going to be a strange absence at the dinner table now. Folks, again, a picture of so many of God's children. Our Heavenly Father is such a wonderful Father, and He's lavished so much on us. He gives and gives and gives, and sadly, people are not satisfied with Him. 
And look at where this younger boy ends up. He ends up in a, in a far country. It's, it's like he's determined to get as far away from his family and as far away from home as he possibly can. And then he foolishly squanders his inheritance in wild living. In fact, at the end of the story, the older son points out, Dad, he squandered all your wealth in, in wild living and prostitutes. This guy has gotten about as rebellious as you can get. He's gone off the rails, we might say. And again, it's a picture of us. It's a picture of us rejecting all that our Heavenly Father has for us. Taking His wealth, His sunshine, His rain, good health that He gives us. All of these things we call His common graces. He's given us all of this. And instead of desiring to live in loving intimacy to Him... We want to go out in the world and do everything just for us. And we want to get away sometimes from God as far as we can. Just as far. God, I want your blessings. I want everything you can give to me and do for me. I just don't want you. I don't want you, God. And it sometimes doesn't matter what we do or who we hurt. And you know what, folks? It's not just the young people. Again, the longer I'm in ministry, I see it's a prodigal husband, a prodigal uh, wife and mother. I mean, it's, it's amazing sometimes what adults do to royally mess up their lives and their families. Maybe I'm speaking to you. You're a prodigal even while home, perhaps. And maybe you're wasting your life away. And you know what? You may even be having fun for a while, too. You know, the devil's a good fisherman, isn't he? He's a good fisherman. Hebrews 11.25 talks about the passing pleasures of sin. It can be fun for a while. Again, you've probably been there, too. But where's it going to take you? Jesus said, what's it going to profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his very own soul? Where are you going to end up? People just don't seem to have eyes for what their disobedience and rebellion can end up do doing to them. Now, folks, I, I know the following story is kind of different because it involves a toddler and not an adult. But I, I think it still shows the same principle sometimes of the consequences of disobedience. Henry Blackaby. Many of you have gone through his course experiencing God. Henry Blackaby talks about the first funeral that he ever did as a young pastor. It was of a three-year-old little girl. He says she was a beautiful three-year-old little girl. She was the first child of a couple in our church, and she was actually the first grandchild on both sides of the family. But he says, unfortunately, she was spoiled and rebellious. 
She constantly would push the envelope as to what she could get away with. Blackaby says, I personally witnessed how she would try her parents. She would ignore their instructions and tragically how the couple and the rest of the family thought that the disobedience and the rebellion was cute. Oh, how precious it is. Look at how she's rebelling. Look at this little defiant attitude. And they would even end up rewarding her for it. They'd tell her one thing to do. She would turn around and look at them and kind of laugh and giggle and run off and do the very opposite. But one day, the front gate was left open. And the mom and dad looked out the front window of the house and they saw her going through the gate and she was running between two parked cars out on the curb. They frantically ran to the front door and yelled to her to turn around and get back inside. And in her characteristic way, she turned to them and looked and giggled and laughed and turned back around and ran straight into busy traffic coming by. Again, true, just a little child. But it's an example of how disobedience for anybody, any age, can end up with dire consequences. Second thing I want you to see, the reality that sets in. Look at verses 16, uh, 14 to 16. This boy went up like a rocket, didn't he? But look how he fell. He fell like a rock. A famine occurs in the land. Here's the father on one hand, given so much. Has the father ever given us anything bad or evil? Of course not. But we turn to the world and the world ends up becoming sometimes like one big famine. Here again, Adam and Eve, when they, when they sinned against God and they were driven from the garden, think about leaving the garden and now they're going out into the wilderness and desert to live by the sweat of their brow. They're experiencing a sort of famine in their lives where they've got to find their new reality. That's how this guy was. Finally, the good times come to an end. He's broke. And suddenly, guess what? He's all alone, too. He spent his money on, on, on things that money can buy, but he hasn't invested any of his life at all in things that money can't buy. And now everybody's gone, and the good times are gone, and he's broke. And verse 14 says, He began to be in want, and nobody would help him. Pagans at the time, did not help their, their fellow people out. It was kind of like this survival of the fittest mentality. Oh, he's in bad shape. He must deserve it. There were Jewish benevolent organizations all over the place. Maybe he's too ashamed to turn to them. Nobody would help him. And again, what's the point here? Man's depravity. 
There is nothing you can do, nothing anybody else can do to meet the deepest needs of your soul. You might try anything. You might get desperate to try to fill a void in your life and nothing works. This guy's trying everything. He hires him out, himself out to a Gentile. Would have been a despicable thing for a young Jewish boy to do. And to top it all off, he does the unthinkable. He's tending pigs. Jews said pigs were unclean. They had nothing to do with pigs. But again, this is a picture of just how desperate and low this young man has become. It bears out that saying. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. And it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sometimes it's not even intentional disobedience in the worst kind of way. Maybe we just grow cold and kind of lose our focus in life and begin drifting and don't even we don't even think day to day what's really important in life. It's kind of like Sabine Moray. 67-year-old Belgium woman who drove 90 miles to pick up her friend one day in Brussels. But the GPS on her car malfunctioned. She drove 1,000 miles all the way to Croatia. She crossed five international borders. She stopped multiple times to rest and refuel. Her family initiated a frantic search. And when they finally caught up with her and they interviewed her, she said, I, I don't know what happened. She said, I just kind of, I was going 90 miles, 90 miles from home. I just kind of zoned out and got in my own little world and wasn't even thinking about what I was doing in life anymore. She said, I don't know what happened to me. And she said, all of a sudden, it woke up, you know, where am I? Where have I gone? <laughs> you know, Just not even thinking. Sometimes we're just checked out like that, just zoned out. Not even thinking. Not even thinking about the direction of our lives. We're just marking time. No focus. Look at verse 17. He came to himself. He realizes the madness in his heart. The madness and where it's gotten him. And if that's you, here's what you must do. You must face your condition squarely and honestly and where you are and how distant you are from God. And you've got to do something about it. You've got to look at yourself. Take a good long look at the direction of your life and your heart condition and what's been important to you in life. You've got to wake up to all of that.
And look at verses 18 and 19. What a wonderful truth here. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You've got to be honest about your condition and you've got to be willing to do something about it. As Dr. David Garland in his commentary on Luke says, for all this young man knows, again, if we're to think in terms of this parable, maybe maybe Jesus identifying an, an actual occurrence. For all this young man knows, his family has done what many Jewish families in this situation would have done. They had a service where they would recognize their wayward child as being dead. Dead to the family. He might have even been thinking that. I can't go back home. There's no going back. It'd be risky to go back. But you know what? Until you do, you've not reckoned with the beauty of the gospel. Amen? The gospel is that God will change you and forgive you, but you've got to repent and go to Him and surrender. And what do a lot of people say at this point? Oh, God would never love me. But look at what the prodigal discovers. In verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father's been waiting for this day. This is what he's been praying for. And it shows the long-suffering of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God. You start looking for God and you know what? You find yourself in the same situation as Zacchaeus when he started looking for God. You find out that God's been looking for you. Third thing I want you to see, the repentance that brings joy, beginning there in verse 17. What did the father do? He runs, he embraces the son, he kisses him. The son had this speech all worked out. I mean, he's got all these excuses built in, or, or, or the excuses don't matter. He's just, he's got humility built in. He, he's ready to take ownership, and I'm not even worthy anymore. But you know what? The father doesn't even allow him to keep going that direction. He recognizes that his son has come home. And he covers his son's nakedness in a new robe. He puts a ring on his finger. Both of these are symbols of being in the family in a position of, of prominence. He puts shoes on his feet, again a sign of sonship. Oftentimes slaves and servants would either go barefoot or just some, anything they could find to maybe cover the bottoms of their feet. But family members would have shoes. And he feeds him the choicest of food. He's ready to give his son the best. The fattened calf. He didn't chide. The psalmist talks about this. God, God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He will not chide us forever. Aren't you glad about that? 
God opens his heart to those who come to him in repentance. He's kind of like the publican in Luke 18. Here's the Pharisee, you know, I'm glad I'm not like that rascal over there. God, I do this, this. The publican wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, look down, beat his breast, and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And the scripture says he's the one that went home justified. Folks, what this father does in this parable is a picture of the gospel. That's why most people think this shouldn't be called the parable of the prodigal son. It should be the parable of the loving father. Because it's a father who has two sons. The father is the star of the story. And in the storyline of redemption, who's the star? Who's all the glory go to? The father. There's only one lasting tragedy in this story. And you know who that is. The elder son. The elder son. Dad never threw me a party. Never even gave me a goat. You know, goats don't get a very good rap in the scripture, do they? (laughs) He'll set the goats on his left and the sheep on his right. You know, Matthew 25. Goats don't get a good rap. Dad, you never even so much as gave me a scrawny little goat. And here's this prized cow that we've been saving up, fattening up for the most special of all occasions. And you give that to this rascal son of yours who's been with prostitutes, squandered all of your goodness and wealth away. And now you're going to give him something like that. And he is bitter. He is as bitter as he can be. Just like the religious establishment at the beginning of Luke 15. And that's what Jesus is showing. You see, if Jesus just wanted to talk about a boy coming back home and how wonderful that would be, the story would end at verse 24. But he continues with the elder brother to illustrate the opening verses of the chapter. Because the Pharisees in Jesus' day are like the elder brother. Tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners are coming to Jesus. And they're mad about it. Most of you have heard about Chuck Colson. Nixon's right-hand man in the Watergate scandal. Colson ended up going to prison for his part in Watergate. And while in prison of his own testimony, he says he found Jesus. He, He was born again. And the way he lived his life when he got out of prison showed that it was a true profession of faith. To the day he died, he lived for Christ. Wrote books on Christian speaking circuit. Just all kinds of work he was doing for the Lord. A newspaper writer in Tennessee who was still bitter about Watergate, sat down with Colson on one occasion and was interviewing him about Watergate. And he started talking about how he was born again. And she stopped the interview and looked at him and she said, Sir, after what you've done, what right do you think you have to be born again? 
We have a bookkeeper's mentality. We want to remind people of what they've done. But you know the sins we think are little, they'll be forgiven when we come to Christ. The sins we think are big, they'll be forgiven when we come to Christ. And the joy is in knowing that a sinner or a wayward saint has come back home to the Father. The older brother had better be careful here. He's about to reveal that while he's been a good son and a dutiful son, he is a son whose heart is just as far away in a far country as his little brother's has been, and he's not even left the farm. And the parable closes by showing that the younger son is not in danger anymore. But the older son needs to realize he's the one in danger. He doesn't have the heart of his father. Paul prayed for the Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. In your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Listen to this. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Amen. Would you bow with me please. I wonder how many there are in this service who might feel like in some respect your life has become hopeless. You've gone astray and you've gone wrong. Somewhere along the line you've taken a wrong turn. Maybe you're even thinking about what could have been. What your life was supposed to be. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody like that that feels so distant from God. What I want you to see is the promise in this parable. The promise of starting over again. But come home. Come to Jesus today. Casting everything upon him. Christian, have you been wayward? Is your first love gone? Are you living in the famine of the world versus in God's care? Maybe it seems like a long time since you've been in fellowship with the Father. I'd say to you likewise, come home. Get back to where you know you need to be. Maybe there's a prodigal you know. And all you can do is pray for him. You know, that's the least you can do, but it's also the most that you can do. Let me ask you also, do you have eyes and ears in the heart of God when it comes to people? Maybe there's change that's due in that avenue as well. Father, we thank you for this story that shows your abounding love 
for the lost and the wayward. And I pray that if anybody is seated here thinking, oh, God would never love me. Christians would never accept me. God, I pray that you would speak to them right now. For wayward saints who know they've lost their focus and they've gone out into the world living carnal lives, they need to come back to the Father. Lord, press upon their hearts today. Father, thank you for the joy that you give us in being a part of your redemptive plan in the Scripture to tell people about Christ and to experience the joy when people come home to you. Because we remember that joy when we experienced your salvation and forgiveness ourselves. May we never forget what that was like. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand?